This morning, we're at the very end of our road trip message series. If you've missed it, um, you can always look online, but uh, it's been a great series, and we're just at the very end of it. And then next week, of course, is Easter Sunday morning. We're going to celebrate that together. It's going to be fantastic. And make sure um, to bring people, because I think it'll be an encouragement for them. This morning, we've been um, at the end of this series, we've been thinking about these vital elements to take on our journey with him, this journey of living with Jesus and experiencing him and passing him on to other people, that is making disciples of people from all over, from every background. And um, we've had illustrations to help people kind of think about those things we take along for the trip. And so we still have some of those here. And the first week, if you remember, we talked about sacrifice, that is actually getting out and doing and we use these uh, choose an illustration of actually engaging our faith and sacrificing personal agendas and energy and time for the sake of the Lord and to make disciples. And, um, and then the second week, Max taught, and for some of you, you might remember Max taught about baby wipes, exactly, which were an illustration of our purity, um, our walk with the Lord and living pure before him and clean and actually... That purity is a gift from God. It's not something we earn, we try to work really hard at, but it's a gift that God gives us, gifts us his purity, and we can live in the confidence of that and walk with him, not bound by our shame or our guilt or trying to live up to people's expectations, but live in the, in the goodness of the purity of God. And then the third week, um, we brought out Tim Ayers' skivvies, I'm just kidding, Tim. I was going to say Bruce, who happens to have a birthday today, and, um, but I decided not to throw him underneath the bus and Tim underneath the bus. But it was just a, a silly illustration of what's really foundational for us, and that is our faith. Our faith is foundational. And as we thought about how we pass that on to another person, how strategic that is and how significant it is when we pass on our own faith to another person, and how um, essential that is in my walk of discipling other people. They see me like take risks, steps, things that I have to really actually trust in God for. And you all know this, that faith is challenging. And a lot of times God places us in situations where we would resist otherwise. I have a couple friends that actually God um, stuck in my path this morning to pray for, I um, randomly ran into a neighbor. I didn't run him actually into him, but I, um, I, I stopped and I asked how he was doing, and uh, we prayed right there. God was in the middle of helping me pass on my faith to my neighbor. And then when I got here, I had another conversation with somebody who's in really the thick of some really hard family stuff, and it's obvious God is, is stretching his faith. So we were talking about, the essential nature of that, and just praying together. And that's what we do as a community here. We challenge each other's faith, call each other out to depend on the Lord in richer, deeper ways. And this week, that's my prayer for you, that that God places you in those situations where your faith expands, it grows. Um, And then um, last week, Pastor Nate talked about, do you recall? Snacks. And that was an illustration of our unity in the Lord, which is actually really important, very significant. Jesus himself prays in John 17 
that fabulous prayer about the essential nature of our unity and how we live that out, how we express that together. And when we do, people come to faith in Christ. And when we don't, people see that. And you know this, right? When people see the lack of unity, then we become the hypocrites. And the church becomes the target. And even rightly so at points where people don't follow Jesus because of our lack of unity, because at the, the heart of what God is doing in his great work is reconciling people to himself first and then to each other. And so we are a church that is deeply committed to unity. So this Sunday, um, I have my last final illustration, and it's these glasses, because we're going to be talking about something really important, and I just wanted to be like Nate have you noticed he wears his sunglasses inside at church? I was going to stick them there. He really sticks them there, but it's a little uncomfortable. Okay, it looks a little weird, but I'm going to try it this morning. So, yesterday I went up on uh, the Pleasanton Ridge for a run. It was perfect, actually, one of those glorious times. I know some of you think I'm really strange. I love to run. And I was up on the ridge, and it, was, it had just rained, and so you could smell all that great freshness of the, of the woods there. And I was out by myself, and the, the hills were like verdant green, just popping. And little wildflowers were popping out all over the place. And a lot of people, like hardly anybody was there because people were thinking, oh, it's going to rain. I don't want to be out in the rain. And I was thinking, this is perfect, like a little chill in the air. has perfect running weather, and I'm up there, and I pop up to the top, and I'm running along this trail, and you can look out, and you can see things. You can see all over, like Pleasanton and Livermore and Dublin, and look back this way and see Sinole. It's great vista, and perspective was totally changed. And then as I looked out, I saw all these people, like thousands of people in this valley, who were sitting there ensconced in their comfortable little homes, probably on social media or whatever, and they were missing out. They didn't get the chance to experience what I was saying. They didn't get the perspective that I had of how beautiful it was. What a great day that God had made. Now, this day, my great prayer is that you experience a different kind of perspective like that a different kind of vision, because I think that was essential to what Jesus was passing on and that what we experience and we pass on to those people around us. So sometimes we live our lives just focused on the thing in front of us. We're like little bumblebees bumbling around the next little point of nectar, and we're not seeing the big picture And there's this really wonderful word picture, metaphor in Scripture that we are to be. And I want to point that out to you. It's found in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, and you have a Bible. I'd love for you to turn it open. I'm just going to read about this. Some of you are familiar with this text, but it grabs our attention. Scripture says this, starting in verse 28 of Isaiah 40. Have you not known... Have you not heard? In other words, have not you learned this lesson already in your journey? Didn't you already have this knowledge? It wasn't already beating in your heart. The Lord is the everlasting 
God. That is, he's eternal before and into the future. How did your perspective of God get messed up? How did you forget this, who he is? The creator of the ends of the earth, that all things around you were made by his hand, by his strength, by his power and creativity and beauty and love with a word from him. His, excuse me, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. That is, there's no limit to his perspective or his vision. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. That's us, right? Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The text in Isaiah is encouraging people to wait for the strength of the Lord, not to try to do it in their own energy, but that God would empower them. He would empower us and our days. But it has me asking this other question. Why is soaring like an eagle such a good way for us to travel? Why does God want to get us up? And why the metaphor of the eagle for us? It's an arresting metaphor, isn't it? A word picture that really catches our attention. The eagle, of course, is blessed with vision that's four to five times at least better than ours. And the eagle has perspective when it's up in the air. It can see farther. It can see the landscape. It can see the distance. And this morning, I want to remind us that Jesus has that very experience for us to know and to live in, to have a different kind of perspective, a different kind of vision. The writers of the first four books of the New Testament tell that story. They tell the story of Jesus' very different perspective and vision. And they begin by reminding us of a really critical vision changer. It's this truth, that Jesus is immeasurably greater than you, and certainly than me. He's immeasurably greater. Mark begins his account of Jesus with this story. I'd like you to turn the Bible open to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and we'll just be looking at verses 4 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully you've got your phone with you. You can turn on your phone, and it'll be up on the screen. Here's how Mark begins his story of the life of Jesus. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Here's what John's message was. Turn away from your brokenness and sin, your selfishness, your own direction, and turn around, that's repentance, and turn toward God. And that was the message John was preaching. And he preached that message for the forgiveness of sins. It's repentance that leads to our forgiveness. Repenting honestly before God and coming into relationship with him. And repenting as believers when we have sin and he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our our sin 
and unrighteousness. So this was his message. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So Mark, as he writes his gospel, is describing this spiritual movement of people in his day. And it happened under John the Baptist, where people were coming out to see him. They hear this message that convicted them, and they turned toward the Lord. God was preparing people as they got honest before them, before the Lord, and had tender hearts. And at that point, he was reaching them, and he was preparing the way, Mark tells us in his gospel, for Jesus' arrival. Which is a great message for us this morning at the very beginning of Passion Week, that Passion Week will be distinctly different if we come to him with tender hearts, repentant hearts before him. Now John, verse 6, was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And Mark is describing that John is a wild-haired guy. And it wasn't John that they came out to see. The Spirit of God had moved people to hike for 20 miles, sometimes even more than 20 miles, through a wilderness to hear this guy because he was prompting something in them. They wanted relationship with God. They wanted things to change. They needed perspective to change and how they viewed life and how they were living life. And so God was calling out to them and bringing them to this point. Verse 7 says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. Jesus is immeasurably greater than me. That's what John's message was. I have a t-shirt that says, he is greater than I. Have you seen that little slogan? It's a great slogan. And that was John's message. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Isn't that great visual? I have baptized you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, the living, moving, present God himself inside your life is how he will change you. So John the baptizer, the most respected spiritual leader of his day and in his culture, was eager to pass this on. The heart of the message was this, that he is immeasurably greater than I am. Come to him. Turn to him. In a very different manner, John's gospel sounds out this same exact message. When John begins his gospel, John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, oh, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's the same message John is sounding that he is immeasurably greater than you. Read the rest of the chapter in John chapter 1. That's the message of the greatness, the splendor, the majesty, the divinity of Jesus. He is greater than you. Why is that so important to grab hold of? Because it changes the way I view people. The way I view the events of my life. The way that I view myself when I understand his greatness. And throughout the gospel, there are accounts of this life-altering axiom. It's in the middle of things. 
that he's immeasurably greater. Why do I trust Jesus more than other people's opinions? More than even my own family or my own spouse? It's because he's immeasurably greater. Why do I trust him with my security and not my bank account or my financial planner? Why do I trust him for my future? It's because he is immeasurably greater. Why do I trust Jesus' words over the word of philosophers or religious leaders or politicians or college professors or anybody else? It's because he is immeasurably greater. Jesus is immeasurably greater than you. And because of that, he has a great perspective for your life. That's far more than a saying on a bumper sticker or a theological premise. It's intended to be experienced. As I experience the living Lord Jesus, he changes my perspective. As I experience through the challenges of this week who he is, he changes things. Brennan Manning has observed, we must never allow the authority of books, institutions, or leaders to replace the authority of knowing Jesus Christ personally and directly. When the religious views of others interpose between us and the primary experience of Jesus as the Christ, we become unconvicted and unpersuasive travel agents, handing out brochures to places we've never visited. Isn't that good? We're on this road trip. And this road trip is about us, but it's also about us being travel agents, passing on to other people how they become followers of Jesus. And if we have not experienced Jesus, we'll fail. We cannot do that unless we experience him. Yet when we do experience the power of the risen Lord Jesus in relationship, when we, drew, when we do draw close to him and experience that he is immeasurably greater than us, then our life, our vision is dramatically altered. So what did the disciples discover when they drew near to him and experienced Jesus? What, what exactly changed about their perspective and their vision? Well, let me just give you a few of the things that happened to them. First, Jesus prioritized his time with a heavenly agenda. And I think the way that we spend our time actually fleshes out who we are and how we're living or not living with a perspective. Events didn't drive Jesus. He drove them. The pressing priorities of others didn't shape his schedule. His priorities shaped his days. That's difficult, isn't it? When all the crunch of expectations of other people are driving us, are moving us down one way. Mark 1, again, verses 35 to 38, recounts the power of this truth. Mark recounts this event in the life of Jesus. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, that is Jesus, departed, And went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon, that is Peter, and those who were with him, that's the other disciples, they searched for him. They went out looking. Hey, where'd Jesus go? (laughs) Can't find him. They looked all over for him. And then finally they discovered where he was. He's, He's praying. 
And they found him and said to him, verse 37, everyone's looking for you. Everyone's got a plan for you, something for you to do next. Come on, join the schedule. We've got stuff to do. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came. I have this mission in my life, and it is to make disciples, to draw people close to me, and to bring life change, forgiveness, healing, wholeness to them, and for them to multiply and pass that on others. I'm about making disciples. I'm going to drive what's happening in my day. It's a great reminder, isn't it, that Jesus came to proclaim, to live, and to become the embodiment of the gospel, God's good news of grace. He came to make disciples. And when the demands of the daily life came, he saw this greater demand on him. Wouldn't that be sweet to live a day like that? A week like that? Where the things of God really drove us and moved us? At the beginning of the year, we, uh, we started thinking about, again, about this vision of what we're about as a church, right? And we've communicated this often that we're about making a thousand new disciples. I don't know if it's going to be a thousand or a million. Not sure. I do know that God wants us in the middle of this great adventure of seeing people come to faith in him, embracing him and following him and multiplying that's what the church is about. And so when we prayed about it and thought about it and had conversation, that's what we want to put out in front of us on a constant basis, that we're about being lights in our world and seeing Jesus do that in and through us, having a different kind of vision. It's what matters most to the Lord. There are other ways where the vision of Jesus affected the disciples and he, were, he was passing it on. Here's one more way. Jesus saw morality, that is, a way of living life morally, through the lens of love, not through the lens of obligation or duty or a long list of religious do's and don'ts. He saw it differently. Again, in the book of Mark, Mark 3, 1 through 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, synagogue, Jesus did, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Jesus said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Not one of them would stand up and say, wait, okay, I get it. It's not about the rules. It's not about the list. What God really wants, my perspective really should be, is to save. That should be what drives me, to save. People matter. And he looked around them with anger, that is, Jesus did, grieved at their hardness of heart because not one person in the room would bend, would acknowledge the truth of what Jesus just said. He said to the man, that is Jesus did, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. When you first read through the accounts of Jesus' life, 
the response of the religious leaders, I think, can be puzzling sometimes. You think, okay, they couldn't have been like that big of jerks, right? They, they couldn't have missed it that badly. Did they really miss it like that? And why were they so strongly set in their ways? Until we think about how strongly we're set in our ways and how we oppose things of God when he's pushing us toward movement and changing our vision. The friction came when Jesus attacked what had become most precious to them, their system of morality. Their whole way of life had become predicated on the premise that God demanded rule followers, not people who followed him by faith. And that premise had also stealthily become their lever of power, how they controlled people. And any threat to that control sparked anger and opposition. And Jesus was here proclaiming a wholly different way to view people and to view the way we live. It's through the lens of love. And as Jesus proclaimed this type of vision, he gave that wonderful word picture of the prodigal son, this father just waiting for his wrecked kid to come home. And how he would just eagerly embrace and celebrate that return with forgiveness and mercy. And that's how he treated me. That's how he treats you. That's how he treats my neighbors and my friends. And that's how he wants me to see it. Never to look at another person looking down my religious nose at them, but to see them with the eyes of God and embrace them that way. You've heard the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, verse 6, where they're asking in conversation, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall... You know this, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is... Greatest is the second commandment is just as great. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's about perspective change, vision change. It's about loving people. That's at the heart of it. And all the gospels continue to teach out that same story. It's about loving people. It's a radical vision change that's required. It's not about duty or religious obligation or guilt-driven, comparison-driven behavior. It's about loving people. And that changes the way I see things. Legalism sees the landscape through a microscope. Love sees it and sees the whole and behaves that way. Growth isn't about doing more things or obeying more rules. It's about loving God and people better. I have this friend His name is James. And um, when James and I first met, it was at an impact day that we were doing as a church. And we were painting. We had a whole group of people over at the food bank. We were painting at the food bank. And we had a bunch of kids over there. And so um, the kids were creatively painting too. And I thought the next day, um, and Bruce was over there helping us. I thought, I should get over there and do a little bit of trim work, you know, afterwards, after what we've done. Uh, A lot of great stuff was done, but it still needed a few... um, Little, it needed some help. So I was over there, and, and uh, James and I connected. And from that day on, he called me the painter. And I would go over to the food bank fairly regularly, and James has a loud voice. So when I step over to the food bank, he says, Hey, it's a painter! It's a painter! And everyone looks at me, and they're like, Who is this guy, you know? They didn't know me there as, like, 
the husband of Sue or the dad of Josh and Andrew. They didn't know me as someone, you know, who works here at Bridges and is part of this great community. They knew me as the painter. So I would go over there, and every time James would, like, make his declaration, he's a great guy, and he's got some special needs that uh, challenge him uniquely. And a couple weeks ago, I was over there, and um, I noticed that James was struggling physically, and no one had really noticed it. I don't know. God prompted me to sit down next to James, and I say, what's going on, you know? And it turns out he was right in the middle of a medical emergency, and we had to get him to the hospital right away, and and we did. And in that conversation I was having with James as this was happening, I said, James, do you know what I, I like, do for a living? <laughs> he goes, no. I said, I don't actually paint. I'm not really a painter. I mean, I do that for fun, and I, I'm not very good at it. I'm not like Bruce. But, um, but I, I, um, I actually get paid to love people. And I serve at this church called Bridges, and it started this spiritual conversation that I hadn't had with James before. And uh, it was very cool that all of a sudden God was in the middle of this thing that was happening with James in his life. God does this, right? He, he takes us out of the rules and the stuff we're doing and turns us toward loving him in the moment. And that love of God is intended to change all of the relationships and all the conversations that we are a part of. And it prioritizes people over things and the gospel and Jesus Christ above all other things. And it sees the big picture of what is God doing in all the Jameses of our lives. Here's one more foundational way that Jesus' vision was different. Jesus saw events and material things and people to the telescope of eternity. Remember, we started with that passage in Isaiah chapter 40 that says that he's the everlasting God, and he sees the whole spectrum in the past and all the way into my future that I can't see. Eternally, he sees these things. And when he does, his vision takes into account eternity. I always mess up when I'm looking at the immediate stuff that's got to happen next, or I just see the small stuff right in front of my face, and I don't see eternity and what God's doing eternally in people. Mark chapter 8 reminds us. Mark 8, 31 through 38 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He began to tell them about the Passion Week ahead of time and help them see how critical this was, mission essential it was. And he said this plainly, like not through parables or stories. He told them directly, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer these things. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to rise from the dead. You'll be celebrating Easter soon. And Peter took him aside, that is Jesus, and began to rebuke him. When, when you see that, you think, what an idiot He's talking to the Son of God, and he was rebuking the Son of God. And now think about your own action. Every time you say, God, I have a better plan. I know better than you do. But turning and seeing his disciples, that is Jesus, recognizing that they had heard this conversation, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind 
on the things of God, but on the things of man. Your vision is completely wrong. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with a holy angel. What is a prophet if your vision is completely messed up? If you've missed it all, the heart of what God's about. And what Jesus said to Peter grabs our attention, doesn't it? Peter, your vision has failed. It's wrong. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that forceful rebuke must have stung Peter pretty deeply. And the other disciples, I'm imagining, they're just like looking on with mouths agape, thinking, I'm not going to say anything. They had viewed Jesus through the prison of the immediate. How could rejection and defeat and suffering possibly be good? How, how could that be victory? This week proclaims it, doesn't it? This is the story. This week, the suffering of Jesus and his rejection and his death and Sunday. Sunday where we celebrate victory and the resurrection and his power over death and his power for your life. And to experience him, your vision can change. That remains the pressing issue for us. Viewing events and people in our lives through this prism. This is what helps us rise up with wings like eagles and not be bumblebees. To actually be able to see life with perspective. Jesus knew the cross and the resurrection were essential to God's plan for eternity and that would change everything. Many of you have met or heard my friend Quang up here describe his story. Quang was running a successful business in L.A. and God started on his heart to change his perspective. What would it be like if you returned to your homeland and invested yourself there instead of material stuff, started just throwing everything you have, all your gifts in the lives of people. And he wrestled with it and struggled with it. And like most guys, he was slow on the uptake while his wife got it pretty quick. She knew. And uh, she was just waiting for him to catch it. Finally, he went home one day and he said, okay, I've been praying about this, honey. I think we need to sell the business and we need to return to our homeland. And she said, I was wondering when you were going to get it. All right. And so they did. And less than 10 years ago, they moved to their place, their homeland. And God has used them. I'm, you know, I'm just trying to be conservative here to reach over 10,000 new disciples in the last 10 years of their life. People who didn't know Jesus now who are following Jesus and multiplying. It's just 
stunning work of God through him. I don't know what God is calling you with a changed perspective to do or what he's going to accomplish. 10,000, that might be a small number. Or maybe it might be for you to be faithful at your job right now, living out Jesus for the next 30 years, and one person to see Jesus in your life and to grab hold of it and to be changed for eternity. I don't know what it is. I just know that it starts with a vision change, us seeing who he is, us understanding his priorities in a different way, for us to understand that Jesus is immeasurably greater than you and me. That Jesus prioritized his time with a heavenly agenda and we don't have to live under the agenda of somebody else but to live for him and what's important to him. And that Jesus saw morality the way that we live for God and with God through the lens of love and communicate that as a priority with us and people around us. And that Jesus saw events and material things and people to the telescope of all eternity and so he had a perspective Men and women, rise up like eagles. See it differently. Let me pray for you. Father, this week above all weeks, and we want to live this out. We want to see things like you saw them. We want to live for you so that people might know you. As we experience you this week, Lord, grab our hearts, our affection, our time, our priorities. Help us to live for you wholly, to love people well. I pray you would bless us with this great journey of making disciples. I pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen indeed. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.